The scripture this morning comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of our Lord. So last week we climbed the lofty heights of, uh, of therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, Colossians 3, 1, set your mind on things above and not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. For it is because of these things, Paul wrote, that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. We climbed that lofty mountain. It was remarkable to uh, walk through, preach through 1 through 17. I love doing a book of the Bible because you follow the ebb and flow of the book. And today we come down into a teaching moment, uh, what uh, uh, scholars call ethics. As a matter of fact, we're going to jump into the three most time-consuming relationships uh, of your life. That of being married, that of being a parent, and that of being an employee. Uh, That's what these verses deal with. The employee uh, uh, part is applied for our sake in Paul's day. Uh, We'll look at the makeup socially of the Roman Empire, which is why he wrote it as he did. But uh, if you're here and you say, well, I'm not married, uh, uh, if you will one day be married, listen in. Uh, This could be an ounce of prevention, as the old saying, which is worth a pound of what? Cure. And so you say, I don't have children, same, lean in, listen in, uh, and I don't have a job yet. Well, uh, most likely you will at some point. So uh, listen in if you're not yet in that age or stage. So I know I'm speaking to rows one and two, students sitting down front. Any good to see them down front, church? Yes. Good to see you guys down here. Thrills me. Journals open, Bibles open, examples to the rest of us. Thank you so much. Um, But maybe one thing you didn't notice when we read through this text is that six times reference is made to Jesus as Lord in these verses. Six times. And so while this is about ethics, it is primarily about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So what does the word Lord mean? Uh, The word Lord uh, in Greek means master or sir. Uh, But when we call Jesus Lord, we're calling him God. 
So Jesus as Lord is his term, uh, that uh, the, the name of him that refers to him as God. And so herein lies a problem, especially in the South, I think. Maybe it exists other places, but in the South. If you were to get frustrated, most of us would not at all uh, in anger say, Jesus Christ. You wouldn't do that. You would recoil from that. But people in the South will go, Lord, or good Lord. And when we have now taken that into our vocabulary and so normalized it, we have drawn down the meaning that is so significant of that title or name of Jesus Jesus as Lord is Jesus as God. And I'm afraid that we say it now with such regularity and we do not mean it that when we read it in Scripture, we don't get it or worse, it doesn't get us. How did he come about the name? Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? There it is. That's the name. He is Lord. Every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, so this passage begins talking about husbands and wives as being in the Lord. And so I want that image to stick with you. And when I thought about it, I was reminded of a story I saw a few years ago on the news. So I Googled and discovered it. In 2018, Mexico Beach was devastated by Hurricane Michael. Hundreds of homes were destroyed, but one was not. Check it out. There it stands. This home withstood a Category 4 hurricane with winds up to 155 miles per hour. Popular science and other organizations flew in to discover, figure out why did this home stand. If you look at the bottom, you see those uh, posts. They're not just any posts. Those are concrete posts that go 28 feet below into the sand, 28 feet. There was a wall completely around that bottom part except for where cars pull in. That wall was made to collapse as soon as water hit it. And so when the water came rushing in, the wall on the bottom collapsed. The walls of this are considered concrete sandwiches. They have three different uh, workings in them to create what they call a concrete sandwich. Notice that there are no windows broken in this house. Only one window broke. That was in uh, one of the bathrooms, a small window. The windows are also three layers thick. Notice that no roof is missing at all. This metal roof is designed such that when the wind hit it, it would just come up and go over it. The hip roof design was done for that. That's why this house stood. Now, I, I, why do I share that with you? 
I don't want to be on any beach when a hurricane four, uh, 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 hurricane category four is coming in. But if I've got to be, that's my house. Amen. That's me. Like I'm rushing over to my neighbor and we're hanging out. Uh, when I say that we are in Jesus, we are in someone who is indestructible. We are in someone that whatever storm may come your way, it will not take you out. It will not take you down. When you come to God by faith in Christ, you are in Christ from that moment on. And when you choose to walk out, if you in your own ignorance, right, we in our own desires choose to walk out of that storm with 155 mile per hour winds, we're on our own. We're on our own. But when you come to God by faith, you are in the Lord. All right, so let's look at then, I, will, I don't want you to lose this image. If we have to come back and forth to it, Derek, we will. I don't want you to lose this image. You are in the Lord as a follower of Jesus. That is the protection you have. If you're in here this morning, I offer this to you, and you don't know the Lord by way of warning. When the storm comes, just check out the other houses. You are not in the Lord. You will not receive the protection of the Lord. There is something about being in him. So let's look at it then. Number one, because I am in the Lord, I can love my spouse. Because I am in the Lord, I can love my spouse. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Submission is hard to discuss and even harder to preach. One commentator writes, I think it must be noted that this passage urges wives to submit to their husbands, but children and slaves to obey their parents and masters. Those are two different things. Submission and obedience are two different things. Second, the submission of the wife to the husband is inevitably and necessarily conditioned significantly by the demand, the command that husbands love their wives, and in so loving them, the husband will often to submit to their needs, desires, and wishes. I would say to you this morning, if you've been married for any length of time, you know if submission doesn't go two ways, somebody's going out the front door. It's just the truth. Right? It's just the truth. And I realize that we're in McDowell County in North Carolina and that some men love to take this passage and use it to browbeat their wives. I understand that. And you may be watching on Facebook or you may be a wife of one of those husbands watching on Facebook. But the reality of this is there is a command given both to the husband and to the wife here. Husbands are commanded to love their wives and not be harsh. Why are these commands given? If you push rewind all the way back to the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve blew it, when they fell, uh, when they failed and they blew it, uh, the curse wasn't on them, but, but work was declared to be hard for the man. That relationship immediately became strained. That's, if you read Genesis 3, you'll discover that. Uh, so these commands are given because leading and following are difficult. Because submission is hard to understand and even harder to follow through because husbands can love their hobbies and their work more than God and subsequently their wives. So I want to say something to you this morning. One of the things that we know here uh, just from uh, years and years and years of being here and, and serving and doing counseling in and among you is that you walk in with your Sunday smile on, but you may have argued all the way as, here as husband and wife. 
If you're struggling in your marriage and you both know Jesus, you are struggling in that house. Okay, you are struggling in the Lord. Uh, Let me remind you of that. You are struggling in protection while the storm is raging. And some of you are wrestling with that this morning. I just want you to know and be reminded that you are in the Lord. As the new song we just sang said, being in him and him in us is what we believe as New Testament grace-filled Christians enables us to walk with him and to love one another as husbands and wives. So let me ask you just an inventory question. Uh, Husbands, how are you loving your wife? How are you practically engaged in loving her? Wives, how are you engaged in submitting to, or as Ephesians gives that counterpart, respecting your husband? Husbands, do your your wives know that she's number one? Uh, after God? Does she know it and feel that? Wives, do you embarrass your husband uh, by criticizing him in front of others? Love and respect. Two unconditional commands from Ephesians 6, Ephesians 5 rather, and they're spelled out here in Colossians. Secondly, because I am in the Lord, I can love my family. Paul then addresses children and parents. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There's that second reference to the Lord. Jesus is God. So parents, let me, let me just say something here today that is countercultural. It's okay for you to be in charge. All right? It's okay for you to be in charge of your kids. Teach your children early that you are. Early, let them know that your mom and your dad require obedience of them early in their lives. What you laugh at at the age of three, you'll cry about at the age of 13. Check their attitudes. Your kids aren't in charge in your home or they shouldn't be. Don't miss the requirement of your children pleasing the Lord. Obeying you is required for your children to please the Lord. So parents, if you don't require obedience of your children, you keep them from pleasing the Lord. How many parents influenced by the age in which we live set their children up to be disobedient, not only to them, to teachers, to police, to authority, but to the Lord himself. And parents, specifically dads here, you're given a warning too. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That's the other extreme. Overbearing parents create overburdened kids. The reality is that your kids are going to give you plenty of material to work with. Amen? They are. They're going to make so many mistakes that if you decide you're going to find every single one of them, you will irritate your children. 
You will frustrate them. They will be miserable in, in your home and they will do their best to get out as soon as possible. Don't overburden your children with things that don't matter or that matter less. You must choose your battles and choose them carefully and require obedience because then your kids are pleasing to the Lord. Sat at a wedding uh, maybe a year ago, maybe less, where a couple of young women are nannies in Charleston. They were up for the wedding, and the one shared how she is in a home where she is not allowed ever to say anything negative to the children, only positive things. God help those kids when they get a job or get in real life, go to school where a teacher might say something negative, that child will crumble. Third, and I'm moving quickly, this is a teaching sermon, because I am in the Lord, I can enjoy my job. That's the application of the servants. We'll talk a bit about the culture in Paul's day. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fear in the Lord. So bond servants were slaves. Some of your translations render this slaves. Some have said that in, in, in the Roman Empire, uh, most likely half of the people were slaves and half of them owned them. Now, when you think slaves then and slaves in our history as a country, it was different. Most of them were household servants. They lived in the home and served, but they were slaves nonetheless owned by them. And you know what happened is that the slave owner and the slave both came to Jesus. And when they did Ownership didn't change. The culture didn't immediately change. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul addresses it in a radical statement uh, in verses 8 and 9. He says, in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul said when that wealthy uh, Roman citizen uh, who owned uh, household servants came to faith in Christ uh, and his household servants did too, they're both all of a sudden on equal footing. Um, as a matter of fact, if you go forward to four one, Paul will say that you, master, have a master in heaven and that master in heaven is also your slave's master. So you both are reporting to one one master who is your Lord. These are radical statements in Paul's day as is his words to dads who in Roman society ruled and could even order the death of their children. Paul says then to these slaves to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord. Uh, what does that mean? It's a it's a phrase that's difficult. To fear the Lord is to reverence him. Now, slaves would naturally at times be terrified of their master, and Paul asks them to lift their eyes above their terror to the one master who did something different. That master 
died for them. All right, so, so this is the radical reality of the gospel. That the one we're calling Lord, which means ruler, master, the one in charge, died for the ones who are calling him Lord. That's the gospel. And that's very different, isn't it? There's something about a master who would die for you. You see, what then gets woven in everything? If we are in the Lord, uh, let's go back to the picture, Derek, of the house. We are in that house that's taken the brunt of the storm because Jesus took all the heat of the wrath of the Father on himself, dying for me and for my sins so that that as the songwriter wrote, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. This week I was out to visit Lisa Sprouse a few times. Lisa, who, God, would be just so surprised if she is not looking over into heaven right now. And... Uh, it's maybe Tuesday, and I went to see her. Um, she could not verbalize with me at all. But I said, Lisa, can I sing a song for you? No response. And I began to sing, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. And she went, and this smile came across her face. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And she smiled. No words. But oh, was she responding. That's woven through Jesus as Lord. Amen, church? Is that the, the biggest burden I carry is my sin weight that he took and everything thereafter, every storm that comes ashore thereafter he takes. Amen? Every single one, I am in him. And that's radical and that's different. And if you don't know him, you ought to run to him. Because when you're 57 years old, like Lisa Sprouse, and you're dying of cancer that you battled for seven years, guess what makes you smile on your deathbed? It is the fact, the reminder that at some point in your lostness, God came through his son Jesus and died for you and saved you from your sin and raised you to walk in newness of life. She told Wendy and me uh, a few weeks ago, she said, when I was diagnosed, I gathered my family in and I said, listen, all eyes are going to be on us. All eyes are going to be on us and we've got to point him to Jesus. We have to point him to Jesus. Whatever comes our way, we're pointing them to Jesus. That's how you weather a storm, isn't it, church? Why? Because you're in Jesus. So how? 
Ephesians 1, 20 through 21, that he worked father, the Father in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. That's our Jesus, church. 4, 1, Paul instructs masters, you've got a master in heaven. The ground is level, Christian bosses and employees alike. Fear the Lord. Matthew 20, Jesus called them to him, his disciples, and said to him, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Oh, that we would return to that in leadership in our country. Would that not be an amazing day? Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our Jesus. He is our master. He is our Lord. You say, well, what hope does that give? Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord we will receive an inheritance. What is an inheritance? Here's my very simple definition. An inheritance is a present promise with a future payout. It's a present promise, but it's got a future payout. When you come to God by faith in Christ, there's a present promise. Lo, I am with you. How, how much? Always. Even unto the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And there's a payout. First Peter 1, Peter describes it as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's waiting. You say, Jerry, what do I do? I want to give three diagnostic questions and we're done. These come from Counterfeit Gods, which is a great read, book by Tim Keller on idolatry. I'm convinced that when Jesus isn't Lord, it's because something else or someone else is. And so here are three questions to assess it. You may want to note them. Idols capture our imagination, and we can locate them by looking at our daydreams. What do you daydream about? What do you enjoy imagining? You might find in your oft imagination an idol. But then there's another side. Idols give us a sense of being in control. And we can locate them by looking at our nightmares. What do you fear the most? That's the flip side. When your mind wonders, what does it wonder to? But on the flip side, what do you fear the most? And finally... He says we can also locate idols by looking at our most unyielding emotions. What makes you, key phrase, uncontrollably angry, uncontrollably anxious, or uncontrollably despondent? Most likely lying beneath that anger, that anxiety, that despondency is an idol.
You say, what do I do? Confess that. Repent of it. Turn from that idolatry. I found in my own life and in the lives of those that I have the privilege of coming alongside that often those idols are good things gone bad. They're worthy things. Work. Children. Reputation. A friendship. A relationship. And sometimes they're bad things that have become God. Alcohol. Abuse. Workaholism, addictions of various kinds. Lord, thank you for bringing us off the mountain down into the valley where we learn at your feet and you teach us. Your word is good. We needed to hear it today. Do your work, Spirit as you're able to do in your name.